now. But yeah, and so it's just I don't know. It's it's the way that people decide to be fans mm-hmm. that gets me. And I understand we're a football state, and so we don't really understand basketball anyway. Like I'm, I'll be thirty in March, and in my entire lifetime, we've never had a consistently good basketball team. Yeah, yeah, like ever. It's Cause, always cause, been maybe two, three years, and then look good, and then we done. Mm-hmm. And so it's like I understand that it's hard for us to do that. But like, all right, man, let's start the pie. Let's start the pie. Cause who- Reggie B. We're gonna do some pie. We're gonna do some pie. But okay, so uh like, let's intro this. Let's get the people ready. Let's get the... All right, everybody. Welcome to the Things Fall Apart podcast. This is the start of season two. Season two, we're going to try to bring y'all content every month this year to make sure y'all have some good stories. Y'all know, like I said, I want to have some good storytelling pods where y'all can be introduced to new people, but y'all can also learn new things and hopefully their stories can help you help yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like I've spoke previously about just myself and how I've experienced depression, anxiety, but also how I came from a family that, you know, was in poverty for a while. And none of those things, you know, held me back. They, they, they slowed me down for a little bit, but it's how you get over things to get you started. So today I got my, my homie, one of my best friends, Travis Pickett, artistically known as Art Soul Life. Yeah, yeah. What's up, my brother? Hey man, I feel good, man. I feel great, honestly. Bro, I to be here. It's a long time coming, though. Yeah, it's a, it's a long time because I've been talking to like I started this podcast during the pandemic, but I've actually been thinking about doing this podcast for years, mm-hmm. and so the pandemic and the the downtime at home just provided me uh, the time and opportunity that I needed to do it. And so, like we've been talked about you coming on the pod just because. Like I said, we always have great conversations, and I know you have a good story for the people to hear. Yeah. Um, so I'm happy that you came on. I'm happy that you're here today because the people will get to be introduced to, number one, I think they'll be able to learn more about me yeah. through this conversation and uh, our friendship, but also they'll be able to be attached and learn about some art. And like me, I'm all about putting on for the culture. Right. And I think the culture also includes those type of arts that aren't always front row and center, mm-hmm. like online. Like, it's not music. It's not potting, you yeah. know. But it's like, we, we using wood. We put pens to paper, all that good yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know, because people, people, a lot of people probably won't know you was a poet, too. Or you're still a poet, let me say. It's, it's, it's complicated with poetry, because I still write from time to time. I still, like, get bursts of ideas. I might get four, three, four lines. Got to write them down. I just put them away, and I just got like stacks and stacks of those tucked away. One day I'm gonna sit down and put something together. I feel like I've been I've been saying this a lot recently. I got one more show. In nah. me. I got one more in me. It's like I get it, and it's like I haven't. So I haven't performed poetry. Shoot, build a fire like 2015, Ooh. and I haven't. I basically haven't written any poetry since I started my PhD program. Yeah, and so I got a journal now that I try to journal. And in my journal, I try to get some writing in as I'm journaling just to try to get back to the essence of who I am. Because like I always say, 
Uh, and I, I tell people it's difficult to be a creative who's not being creative. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. like, a lot of times, even when I'm working on, like, academic writing, I try to, I now try to figure out ways to make it creative mm-hmm. in the way that the words roll on, uh, roll on the page, the way it sounds. Because one thing that they'll do for us when we get into, like, academia is they'll try to basically neutralize who you are as a person to make everybody fit into, like, this cookie-cutter mold of what an educator or what an academic looks like. Mm-hmm. And why would I want to do that, especially as a black person? Yeah. Just because it's, 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 like, it's hard for a lot of kids, especially at, like, PWIs, mm-hmm. to experience black professors. Exactly. And so for me, a person who gets to be in that position it's like they need to see that, like, no, like, this is Eugene who grew up between Glen Oaks Park Town yeah. and South yeah. Baton Rouge. You know what I'm saying? Like, people have to know, like, my, my, so number one, most of my students are close to my age. But number two, like, my students will go find me on Instagram or something. And if you log on Instagram the, the right day, you might see me on Instagram stories listening to Young Boys. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so it's like the students, like, oh, this dude, like us. Like I remember, I came to I came to class one day. It was a Friday, and I try to I try to do like uh you know like casual Fridays instead of teaching and like slacks and stuff. And I came with like my uh my OG Jordan ones, the yeah. the, the, the black and red. And they like this is this is our professor with the Jordan ones on. I'm like what? like I'm 28. Like what? Are, what are y'all? <laughs> How old do y'all think I am? <laughs> y'all act like I'm 40. Like just because I'm in this position at an age like. Albeit at an age that most people aren't here, mm-hmm. it's like that doesn't mean I have to change who I am. And a lot of times, black people, especially like if you think about your professors at Southern, mm-hmm. they'll try to put themselves in this place where they disregard uh, who they are in certain instances, specifically to fit into like a, a status quo. Yeah, it's like I'm gonna come to class with my button-down shirt on mm-hmm. and my slacks and my black shoes, and I'm gonna teach. See, I I only experienced that. Outside of my major, because mm-hmm. I was yeah. there when Southern still had an art department. So yeah, I got my degree in art, and all my professors in, inside my department were 100 percent the antithesis of what you're talking and, about. And the art department, I can't remember the professor I had, but it was right before they redid Frank Hayden Hall, mm-hmm. and I took a like a history of art class for summer. Yeah, because I needed a I needed another elective, and guy first day of class he came in in the dashiki. Mr. Cox. <laughs> yeah, that's I, what I was. Tell you Mr. Exactly. That's Mr. He Cox. came in his dashiki, and I was just like, bro, this is amazing. Yeah. But I guess uh, for the people, let's start like early. Like, where are you from? I'm from New Orleans. From New Orleans. What, what part of New Orleans are you from? In the East. All right, you from far New Orleans? East. From the, far, from the far East. I can walk to Jazz Lane. Okay. Oh wow, that's yeah. super close. Yeah. Oh, um, so and it's like Natasha has family in the East right now, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Um. How long have you been in Baton Rouge? Uh, like, okay, so I gotta give you the total time. Okay. I graduated high school in 2007, came to Southern. I was at Southern from 2007 to 2012, graduated spring 12. Went back to New Orleans from 2012 to, what was it, like summer 2016, right around Alton Sterling. Yeah. Uh, August of that year, me and my then girlfriend, now wife, we moved to Colorado. Yeah, I remember that. Because she got accepted into a graduate school program up there. And we had just gotten back together at the beginning of that year. 
And she asked me one day, early, early in the summer, she said, I got accepted into the school and I really want to go and I want you to come with me. And I didn't even think twice about it. I said, all right, let's go. And I think like at that moment, I instantaneously and subconsciously made the decision that I was about to get married, but I just (laughs) didn't know when it was exactly. But I felt like the fact that I didn't even have to spend a millisecond thinking about that decision, I was like, yeah, this is more than likely going in that yeah. direction. And I, so I remember when you sent us the uh, the text message in our old group text when you asked her to marry you. Mm-hmm. I remember you sent the picture. Uh, but no, so like that that makes perfect sense. Uh, and I, I think a lot of people will wonder about that decision because most of the time it's a woman moving for a man. Mm-hmm. And for you to be able to make the decision like instantly at that moment to say, yeah, I'm good. We can move there. And also understand the implications yeah. of what moving there meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, that like that's that's number one. That's powerful, but number two, that's needed. Yeah. So like people need to understand those things. Uh, and now y'all have two 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 beautiful, amazing young boys. Man, yeah, married with two boys. One is about to be three. The next one is about to be one. Yeah, because Alexander's yeah. birthday is April 4th. Yeah, right? Alexander is 4-4 four, four, and Elijah is 3-3. Three, three. It's yeah. wild how that happened, but it just happened like that. I remember uh, when Alexander was on the way, y'all was thinking about it. Y'all had a date in mind that he might be born. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he about to be a Pisces. He about to be a Pisces. <laughs> and then he kept going. He kept and going. He and then when Elijah came, I was yeah. like, he might be a Pisces. And it happened. <laughs> and it happened. I remember because I remember both times. But so you you moved from New Orleans in 20, 2007 mm-hmm. for college. Yeah. Graduated 2012. Mm-hmm. You've been to Colorado, back to New Orleans. You're now settled here. Yeah. Um, but I, you get around for your art, correct? Yeah. Whenever. Whenever. Uh, of course. Out, outside of COVID. Yeah. Times. Yeah. Outside of COVID. But yeah, like. If there was a show and there was a means for me to show art and make like real solid connections and potentially make a sale, then I was there, you know, because it's, it's easy for me to pack up the car and drive to the location. Yeah. If the opportunity is there for me to, like I said, really make genuine connections with people, because one thing I realized, especially dealing with COVID, is my art doesn't translate digital okay like i would i would say 85 to 90 percent of all of the sales on art that i've made have been either from people who have seen the art and came back and purchased or have seen it for the first time and purchased it on the spot in person yeah because it's it's never just the art it's it's a lot of the times it's the story that comes along with the art. It's yeah. the how the artist got to connecting with that person at that time that will sell the piece. Yeah. And not even necessarily sell it in a monetary value, but sell it in a way that they can the person it. Yeah, they can buy into who you are as a creative and the things that you create as a creative. So learning how to navigate the world of okay you have to sell this art some kind of way if you want to make it 
a means to provide for your family. Yeah. Because I work a nine to five. My nine to five is cool. I'm not in love with it, but that's generally the story with most creatives, like or most people. Period. Is like I work this job to supplement the things that I love, and I want to get to a point where I can use the things that I love to finance my entire life. Yeah. So I'm using this job and using the things that this job is teaching me and translating that into my art where it's applicable. Yeah. Like where I work now, I work. I work at a place that honestly. It's gotten to a point where it's gotten kind of monotonous, but I do the job, I do it well, I do it to my to the best of my abilities because I never want to half-ass yeah. anything. Like I still want to do well, I still want to make money, I still want to get promoted. You know what I'm saying? I still need to move up and show that I'm not trying to be stagnant. I never want to be stagnant in anything that I do, but this is not something that I'm passionate about. I want to make art, and I want to make a living off of making my art. Right. So. That comes back to me trying to figure out how to maneuver making art in a post-COVID society. And, you know, it's a day-to-day process, but I feel like I'm figuring it out. Like, I'm, I got a, a pretty good idea how I want to do this because my art has evolved from, I want to say, the beginning of 2019. Mm-hmm. 20, like, I want to say midway through 2019. Going into 2020, the art that I've been making since then is completely different from the art that I made up till about the time that we moved back. So the end of 2017, beginning of 2018. So I would say there was a year and a half span where I wasn't really making any art. I was trying to get used to the fact that, hey, I'm back in Louisiana, father now. I'm a husband now, like, this, it, it was completely different life change that I had to get adjusted to before I could get back to me and figure out who I was as an artist, because I've had to figure out who I was as a person, period. Yeah. So, so it's, that, that, that notion right there, I feel like we're going to touch on that again later in the podcast, mm-hmm. but going back to you saying, trying to figure out a way of selling your art but not necessarily monetarily selling it but finding a way for people to connect with it mm-hmm. it's like I know I bought a, a, either a print from you or a stamp from you mm-hmm. in like 2015 yeah and so but then I was like okay uh, I'm always like because one thing I try to do is I always try to support my friends mm-hmm. like when I was looking for a DJ for my wedding that's in June the first thing I did was I had Sage yeah and Sage was like, nah, I just like, I don't really like weddings. I want to like be able to enjoy the wedding. I'm like, that's cool. Yeah, I just wanted yeah. to give you the opportunity exactly. to make that money first. And so it's like, I know I seen this piece at your house for your birthday. Yeah, yeah. And the whole time I saw that piece, I remember I was broke when I seen it. But the whole time I was like, whenever I have money, yeah. I'm going to go back and ask Trav how much that piece cost. <laughs> and so I think what you sold this for $250, $270, yeah. something like that. And like if you would have said like four hundred, mm-hmm. I was still gonna buy it. Yeah. And because the thing is like, so number one, tribe call quest, low end theory. Yeah. Is is one of uh like one of my favorite groups, one of the favorite artists I like to listen to, but it's specifically brought me to a place of like childhood and mm-hmm. growing up. 
Because when I was growing up, like, my stepdad used to always make fun of me. Like, when we got in the car, my stepdad would always put on, like, gangster rap, West Coast. Yeah. Like, I was throwing up W's when I was, like, four. What? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, who? <laughs> but, you know, my stepdad, he's putting on, uh, you know, Snoop Dogg, Tupac, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Too Short, Dub C, Mac 10. But then it's like when I go in the house and I'm listening to the box mm-hmm. and stuff like that, I would see like, you know, a tribe called Quest. I would see Daylight Soul. Mm-hmm. I would see, you know, that whole little Native Tongues uh, type of group. You know, my stepdad used to always uh, call me Neo Soul. <laughs> uh, and it, that didn't, when I, when I finally de- developed my little uh, soul patch, mm-hmm. that didn't help. But be, for me, being a Southern kid who was in love with like that type of, you know, Certain distinct, you know, form of northern rap. Yeah, that yeah. that type of you know native tongues, artsy, creative, yeah. Afrocentric style yeah, of rap. That jazz based, that boom jazz based boom bap. Mm-hmm. Like for for me, this takes me back to childhood. Yeah. but that also kind of details and explains who I am as a person. Because if people know me, they know it's like I love music. Yeah, they know I'm one of these like. Afrocentric. I like to always tell somebody about some type of history mm-hmm. type of people. Um, they know about like my past and my history of being involved in like protests and politics yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so all of this makes perfect sense for me. Especially as somebody that like well my freshman year on Southern Campus, yeah. I was still making beats at the time. <laughs> and it's like I'm not gonna say like my beats were great, yeah. but my beats were definitely this kind of Kanye West Ninth Wonder, yeah. you know, Jay Dilla inspired beat making that I was trying to get, mm-hmm. which is funny. Like, I just think this is making that statement. I think about, uh, I just got my wisdom teeth, two wisdom teeth distracted mm-hmm. on Tuesday. Like, my mouth is killing me right now recording this. <laughs> but it's wire. like, Kanye, I'm like, they can't stop me from buying, you know, through the wire with yeah. right here is spinning. And so, like, this piece, it sells to me, yeah, it connects with me. And so one thing that I've noticed about uh, your artwork is, so number one, you do have, and that's one of the reasons like we are good friends is uh, our love for music. And I see that you have figured out a way to implement your love for music into your artwork. Yes. So I'm guessing just like growing up, uh, before we get to like that art, how did you find your love for music? So it's a wild, like not really wild, but it's kind of, it's unique because I don't know too many people who had this kind of specific upbringing from middle school to from seventh grade to maybe yeah, to maybe 11th grade, the beginning of 11th grade, because 11th grade was when Katrina happened. For yeah. me. And but in that time, my parents didn't let me watch TV during the week. OK. All I had was the radio. So all I had was music. I wouldn't just be sitting in silence. That would drive me crazy. Same. So I would be listening to the radio. And in New Orleans, that was when I was coming up, that would be 97. That would play like um, top 40 hits. Q93 played the hip hop. Um, FM98 played the old school R&B. And then they had this other station, um, Mix 104.1, that played everything. That was my favorite station. Because they played everything. They played the hip-hop. They played pop. They played R&B. They played everything. They played the most eclectic blend of music. And that kind of, like, shaped my my ear. Like, I mm-hmm. always wanted to hear 
variations of things. I never really got stuck in one genre. Like, this is all I want to listen to. This is the only thing I want to ever listen to. Nah, that's not, that was never the case. And so my dad inadvertently had a hand in shaping my musical mind because he had, and most black families can attest to this, they, father or parents had the entertainment console yeah. in the living room with either shit ton of vinyl records or a shit ton of CDs and cassettes. My dad had a shit ton of CDs and he wouldn't really be listening to all of them. I'd say it'd be maybe like 200 CDs and he had maybe five in rotation. Now I remember the five that he had in rotation for a very long time. It was like, Keith Sweat, make it last forever. Ooh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That album was five. five. I remember stealing that from him. Um, it was the Third World Greatest Hits, which mm-hmm. is a reggae group that I really, really fuck with. They got a track called Sense of Purpose, which is like mm-hmm. the biggest hit, but I love that song. Um, he really liked As Yet, that CD that had oh, Last yeah. Night on it. Um, what else was it? It was one more. Oh, The Black Street, the next level album with No Diggity. Yeah. yeah. He, he ran that joint. Out and still post, still post greatest hits as well. <laughs> like that was his five that he just was go to, but he had like two hundred other CDs in his entertainment console. Not like every week, I would just go be like, hmm, what, "What looks interesting?" Now I remember the first one I grabbed when I was just looking for new things to listen to. The first one I grabbed was this holographic jewel case CD of Prince, Diamonds and Pearls, mm-hmm. and I was like. This looks mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. I like some Prince songs. Mm-hmm. Let me see what this is about. And the first record on that album is Thunder. And I was like, Prince came in with the vocals, no music. Thunder, all through the night. Promise to see Jesus in the morning. Like, take my hand. It'll be all right. Come on, save your soul tonight. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I. And just that whole album spoke to me. And I was like, okay, I, I get the hype. From Prince now, from this album, because you got to understand, this is like maybe 2002, 2003, yeah. and I'm 12, 13 years old, just just really listening to Prince, really listening to that, listening to Jodeci, the um, Fail My Lady album, Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, yeah. um, just picking up on so many different genres of music from my dad inadvertently. He didn't like it. We didn't really have that great of like a, a speaking relationship, but just the music that he listened to shaped the music that I listen to now. Because yeah. now I listen to everything. everything. <laughs> no, I get that. And so my relationship with music is kind of the same way, except it's with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And so one thing about me is if you ever come around my family, they're going to call me an old man. Mm-hmm. Number one, because I like staying in my house. <laughs> Num- number two is because all I do is sit down and read. Like I used to as a kid. Yeah, I would get a newspaper. My, I would go to the store, get my mama a newspaper, and I would get me a newspaper. And I would sit in the front yard and drink coffee and read a newspaper at like twelve <laughs> years old. Uh, and so it's like one, I always say when I build my like my house house, I'm gonna put a porch, like a wraparound porch around the whole house. Yeah. Uh, but I remember one of the first albums that is 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 insane because I know so many people who have inadvertently have have a Prince story mm-hmm. and they're falling in love with music. And the Prince album for me was New Power Soul. It was okay. it was Prince yeah. New Generation with a new, with a new power yeah. generation. 
And the thing is, you can barely find that album anywhere right now. Like, it's not on streaming services, nothing like that. And I inadvertently found, like, not inadvertently, I searched for it, trying to find it through Torrance a couple years ago. Oh, man. But that, good old days. put that down. <laughs> but it's like, so, it's like, my thing is, I used to just always, uh, like, my, my, my grandmother had this old truck. It was like a, like a 1980s, like, Ford truck or something like that. And all it had was a cassette player. Mm-hmm. But her and my uh, my doll, uh, the guy who's basically my grandfather, they were roofers. And so literally you get in the car, all there is, there's beer cans and cassette tapes. <laughs> Empty beer cans and cassette yeah. tapes. And every time you get in the car, you put something in. And I'm like, ooh, I, I like this. Oh, this is the Gap Band. Mm-hmm. I like this. Then they put something else in. And it's like, oh, this is the Osley Brothers. Ooh. Yeah. Then, oh, they put something else in. And I was like, oh, Oh, this is Donna Summers? Okay. I like this. But then one thing is about my 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 Dada, it's like if I ever show you a picture of him, he looked like a fake Marvin Gaye. <laughs> but the thing is, he used to love uh like just instrumentation, yeah. jazz. So it's like I can listen to Coltrane mm-hmm. at like eight years old and something that I love. And I think one of the things when I think about the music that I love now, because I also listen to everything, but the music that I love, and it's something that Natasha, she gets mad at me for, mm-hmm. is I can call out the samples yeah. in music. And I'm the type of person, I would create an entire playlist of just the song and, and then every song that is sampled from. Uh-huh. And so, like, our road trip, we took like a 12-hour road trip one time. I created an entire road trip playlist of just the song and the samples. You're going to get this work. You're going to get this yeah. work. And yeah. so, it's like, that's one of those things where it's like, I can connect my love for a certain sound of music mm-hmm. directly to the music I was listening to as a kid. Yeah. But also, I think about when I was coming into my own, and I think about, like, you're listening to these different types of music, these different genres, because everybody know me. I probably listen to, like, pop, punk, rock just as much as I listen to rap. Yeah. Like, what, what Kevin Gates said, that I, I uh, prefer to play uh, pop music. I just able to rap. Like, you know, <laughs> and that's kind of how it is. It's Wait, like... Quick, quick sidebar. You said pop punk. Avril Lavigne is on a new record, a new like a new. So I literally just tweeted about this like an hour ago. So no, okay. So number one, it sounded great. Yeah. But number two, what was crazy for me that other people probably won't understand is the guy she was on the song with, my, my son, son. Yeah. My son was like a hippie star. Yeah. Rapper. He was a. That's why I I saw the name and I was like, wait a minute. My this son don't look long like hair, same, my son. You know, yeah, I, I got have, green hair, but my son I have like, albums from my son in my iTunes. And so, like, the thing is, I used to love my son when he would get together with Johnny Craig. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to pop rock, yeah. you know Johnny Craig, I was in Gla- Glaciers, so many other groups like that. He has an amazing voice. Mm-hmm. Just Johnny Craig, he's a guy that battled addiction, but his music was just always, like, crazy. And so when I heard my son, I'm like, nah, bro. I know this is not my son who was on, like, yeah. this road has become my life. Like, that, you know? That nah, that's not that same my son, but the song sounded great. The song the, was fine. Like, I, I felt Albert with the, with the boots and the, the Doc Martens yeah. and the guitar. Yeah. I'm loving it. But it's just like, all, I love all those different types of music. And so, like, Natasha, she knows me. One thing I can't do is I can't sit still. Yeah. And number two is I can't be in silence. Yeah. When I'm working, I always have to have something playing. So, like, literally, like, when we finish this podcast, I might go in the room, 
and play video games. Yeah. But she knows when I'm playing video games, a playlist about to come on. Exactly. A new album is about to come on. And so it's just like, I feel like a lot of people don't understand how there's a connection between your musical uh, taste and just like who you are as a person. Yeah. Because I think about a lot of stuff that I learned from music. Like, I basically learned how to not be homophobic because of listening to Eminem. <laughs> because I would listen to the Martian Mathis LP and the Slim Shady LP, yeah. and I'd be like, wait, hold on. I don't think this is... This is not okay. <laughs> this is not okay. Like, you know, funny... Like, your bars are tight, but fine. Right. Chill out. Funny story. My parents, the, the, the first pieces of music I owned, not the first pieces of music that I bought, but the first pieces of music that I owned was... The Marshall Mathers LP and Stank On Ya. Yeah. And so though they came out like the same Christmas, or maybe I'm mistaken the Outcast album, but they came out the same Christmas around the same time when my parents got me a cassette, a Sony cassette tape from a player from Walmart, mm-hmm. and they got me tapes. Both tapes were supposed to be the censored version. And my stepdad was like, well, let me see what he listened to. He's been listening to this Eminem album over and over. Now, if, you, if y'all remember when you were kids, the only Eminem songs before, like, Stan and Cleaning Out My Closet that were on TV were Hi, My Name Is, Hi, my name is I'm Slim Shady, yes, I'm yeah. those type of songs. It was always colorful, caricatures, animated, this type of stuff. And the clean version. And the clean versions. When my stepdad listened to the Marshall Mathers LP on the way to work, he was like, Carol, you don't know what this boy be listening to. <laughs> And so my parents were like, they didn't get mad at me, but they were like, you ain't even say nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you just let this shit run. Yeah. yeah. They didn't say anything whatsoever. And so it was just so funny because I'm lit. And okay, let's be honest. Marshall Mathis LP is probably one of the greatest rap albums of all time. Yeah. Like, even when you get to like uh, the end when it's like, you don't really want to with me. That's a- Oh no, big slim dogs, eighty pound balls. <laughs> like, come on, bro. The album's crazy, but I'm not gonna get into that. But I, I, I can, I can get with your story about mm-hmm. how you fell in love with music, yeah, and how it still plays a part in your life today. But so one part, like an offshoot of that conversation, is how did you get involved with art? Like, how did you start your process? Not of becoming an artist, yeah. but just loving the process. Um, that goes back to fourth grade, fourth grade, first year in public school. I went to Catholic school from kindergarten through third, mm-hmm. and that wasn't, my parents realized that that wasn't really challenging me. Education, like, I would be done with my work like that, and then start messing with people because I was bored. So they put me in public school because they had a gifted program. Mm-hmm. So I get to public school. There's a gifted program. Everything's cool. I'm hanging out, having a good time, meeting new people, all this, that, and the third. But in the library, um, I remember it was the first library day. And they said, we can go. We can check out two books. Keep two books three weeks. Bring them back. I was like, all right, cool, whatever. So I go and I'm looking through all the sections. And just this one book speaks to me. Ed Emberley's Big Green Book of Drawing. I'll never forget this book. It was about 11 by 17, maybe three quarters of an inch thick, maybe, hardcover book. And it was all just instructional drawings of things that were green. 
And I remember I checked this book out and I drew everything in the book in two weeks. And I was like, well, is there more? And sure enough, Ed Emberley has a big red book of drawing, <laughs> a big purple book of drawing, a big orange book of drawing. I checked all these books out. They only had the red and the green and the orange at the library. I remember the orange one was like a Halloween thing. And the green, the red one was kind of Christmassy. And I had to find the purple one. I had to buy the purple one. I remember book day came around. You remember book day when he used to come and they give you the little Like the book fair? Yeah, the book oh, fair. Nah, see, if you had money for the book fair, you was lucky. My mama gave me a 10 and said, I want my change. Bruh. <laughs> <laughs> Bruh. That wasn't, a, that wasn't a, a happy day for me because I could just go and look at stuff that I wasn't able to get. Yeah. Like, I remember I got in trouble because... Y'all remember uh, they had the, the sports books where you can get the life-size posters? Yeah. So if you know me, everybody knows when I was growing up, there was two sports teams that I love in the NBA. Basketball, my favorite sport. The Magic and the Spurs. <laughs> now, the reason I'm not a Spurs fan anymore is because the New Orleans Pelicans, you know, ergo Hornets came to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. But I got a Tim Duncan book because Tim Duncan is literally my second favorite, favorite athlete. And they had a seven-foot Tim Duncan poster. The book came out to be $10.98 after tax. My mama gave me a $10 bill. Yeah. I asked one of my friends, could I have a dollar? I came back with the book. My mama said, well, my change at? And I was like. I, 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 I mean, it was $11. <laughs> and I got whooped. I got whooped for buying a book. But my mom was like, I told you to bring back my change. If it was more than $10, you shouldn't have bought it. Bruh. And that was, that was clear rules. So yeah. if you had that day, I'm going to let you finish that. But <laughs> that, that don't bring back good memories. Damn. Me. <laughs> That's five. That's five. Um, yeah, man. I remember I saw that book. Cause I remember at the beginning of the week, they needed a little pamphlet that had all the books that would be at the book fair. Mm-hmm. And I saw this book and I was like, the library ain't got this one. I need to get this one. That was like fifteen dollars, bro. I had to beg my mom to give me fifteen dollars to get this book. But she got me the book, and I was the happiest person in the world to get like the final Ed Emily book. And I finished that book, and I was like, "I, what do I do next?" So I was like, "Well, what do I like? I like Dragon Ball Z. I like Gundam Wing. Of course. Let me draw these guys. Of course. So that's what I was drawing. I was drawing Black Goku, like every other black <laughs> kid on Earth was drawing." I was drawing crazy Gundam Wing design. And oddly enough, I started getting into like wild stuff that you wouldn't expect like an 11, 12 year old to be drawing. I remember going to the supermarket and they would have the free books, like when you walk in where like the quarter machines was at, they would have the free books that would have used cars in them. Yeah. So I picked them up and I would start drawing cars yeah. from the used car books. And I would start drawing floor plans and layouts for buildings and apartments and shit and I'm 11, 12 years old doing basic architecture like mm-hmm. what is what is really going on with me yeah. but the wild part is I stopped drawing from what was that let me see about 7th grade let me see 7th and 8th grade 7th and 8th grade I was at Meg in New Orleans and I was a talented in visual arts. And I had an art teacher named Mr. Webb. 
And he never wanted me to draw how I wanted to draw. I wanted to be an animator when mm-hmm. I was a child. Like, when I started really getting into drawing, I said, I want to make cartoons. Mm-hmm. I want to do the fucking sales. I want to draw 100 sales of this character to make this nigga throw one punch. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> but, like, I get where he was coming from, but he had just a very heavy-handed approach about what he was, what he was doing. Because he always wanted me to draw from realism. I was like, that's not what I want to do. And, and so, I, I want to speak to that point for a second. Cause, so, I was also a gifted and talented kid. And I was a talented art and talented drama. So, when I used to draw, like, like you said, I was into Dragon Ball Z. I was into Gundam. Stuff like that. So, I would literally just go print a hundred Dragon Ball Z mm-hmm. pictures off the internet. Yeah. And then freehand draw them. Funny story. My stepdad still, to this day, has a picture of future trunks on the wall in his room because I drew it for him for his birthday when I was in third grade. Future Trunks. But the thing is, when I was in middle school and I was able to get into talented art, the first thing they told me, if you want to pass the test, you cannot draw a cartoon character. You cannot draw something that isn't real. They were like, you need to draw landscapes. You need to draw animals. You need to draw... uh, If you want to draw something in a, in a, a, a position draw an aquarium mm-hmm. something like that and so my thing was i was in town to art for one year, year because i just wasn't interested in drawing the things that they wanted me to draw yeah uh and so like literally around that point in time that's when i transitioned from like artwork to poetry yeah. because I, I just wanted to draw cartoon characters and that's 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 why i got out of it at after eighth grade i told my mom i said i don't want to do this anymore because we would have, uh, at the beginning of the year, one of the things on our supply list was, you know, the black hardcover sketchbook. Mm-hmm. And every week we would have to turn in five drawings. A still life, a portrait, a landscape, and two of whatever else you want to do. The thing about me was, I would always draw cartoons. Like, I would give you, I would give you five drawings, but they would be five detailed cartoon drawings. He would always just give me, like, mid-level grades. Because I wasn't giving them, you know, mm-hmm. landscape portrait and still life. And so, like, one, like, two weeks I got tired of him telling me to draw from life. He kept telling me very little to draw from life. So I said, I, I felt like he didn't think I could. So for two weeks, I gave him 10 drawings that was all still life portrait and landscape. I remember one day, I sat in the back of my science class, in the back of my earth science class, and I drew the entire classroom. Like, I drew the backs of everybody's head. I drew what was on the chalkboard. I drew the door, the windows, all the beakers on the side. I drew that bitch, like, perfectly. And that was my my still life. I drew a landscape. I drew, like, the front of the building. I drew half of like just half of my face and I turned at him he was like very good where has this been and I said I never said I couldn't draw you knew I could draw I just don't want to do this I'm I don't like doing this I can because I'm talented at art Mm -hmm. but I don't want to be a still life drawer I want to make animation I want you to help me be better at this so I can do what I want to do. So you kind of felt like your creativity was being stifled. Exactly. So I was like, after eighth grade, I was like, fuck it, I'm just done with this. And from eighth to college, I didn't do any art. I just 
wasn't interested. Okay. <laughs> that was it. And <laughs> so from eight to college, because mm-hmm. high, so basically high school is your formative years. Yeah. That's where you're figuring out like who you are, where you want to mm-hmm. do when you grow up. So what did you want to do when you were graduating high school? What did you feel like your your job would be? Accounting. Accounting. <laughs> oh, wow. Account- what is your degree in? My degree is in visual art. Okay. When I when I graduated high school, I wanted to go to college to get a degree in accounting because I took an accounting class a senior in high school. I got an A in my accounting class because I was very good at balancing books, which is very weird because I do not like math <laughs> at all. But I can balance the fuck out of some books if you give me some time and all the information. But I got to Southern, accounting major for freshman year, and then I saw all of the math that you had to take mm-hmm. to get a degree in accounting, and I said, this, this isn't going to work. I got to take calculus. I'm not going to pass calculus. Yeah. I took trigonometry when I was in Arkansas after Katrina. I took trigonometry, and I did not pass. Like I flat out failed that class because anything past like algebra two, honestly, is too complex for me. Like mm-hmm. everybody just just has a limitation on things that they can do, and that you just know it. And like I knew after the second week of trigonometry that this was not going to be for me. Like I gotta, I looked up and got a D. For the first half of trigonometry. And I flat out failed the second half. And I said, I'm never going to take a math this hard again in my mm-hmm. life. But I got, like I said, after, after Katrina, when Katrina hit, I was in Arkansas for a year. I was in Conway, Arkansas for a year. And after my junior year, I went back to New Orleans for my senior year of high school. And I went to McDonald 35. That's why I took the accounting class, got an A, head got blown up because my teacher, she was like, oh, you could be really good at this. And I said, I could be really good at this too. And I was looking at the median um, salary for accounting. And they said, yeah, you get an accounting degree. That's $50,000 a year out of college. And yeah. I said, oh, word? I could do that. Let me do that. Man, I didn't even make it halfway through the semester when I realized I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. I sat down at my desk in my dorm room at Southern University, and I sat there for six hours going through the entire course catalog saying, I have to find a degree. Yeah. I have to find a degree that I can commit four years of my life to, <laughs> because I know if I'm not passionate about it, I'm just going to quit school. I'm just going to quit school, go back to New Orleans, and just get a job. So... I sat there like all night one night and was like, well, I like art. I like art enough to pay to get a degree mm-hmm. in. So I switched majors in the middle of the year. In the middle of my freshman, my first semester, freshman year, I switched majors. And thankfully, I was able to do it that quick. Yeah. Because I know people that get two, three years in and be like, this isn't it. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. So They have to actually start their yeah. major before they be like, nah, that's not it. Exactly, exactly. So I was, I lucked up and realized that quick enough to where, okay, I need to switch now and do this for my own sanity. So that's why I switched from accounting to art my freshman year, 2007. And that's how I got back into art. Yeah. 
And the, the, the beauty of the art degree at Southern is that it wasn't a concentration degree. Mm-hmm. Your independent study and your senior project was a concentration, but everything else was general fine arts. So we're going to teach you everything. We're going to teach you about history. We're going to teach you drawing. We're going to teach you ceramics, sculpture, um, printmaking, graphic design. We're going to give you a little bit of everything. That way, when you graduate, you can just go out and have your hand in whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. You can have like at least a foot in the door of whatever discipline you want to go into. And so, oddly enough, when I started the program, I wanted to do graphic design. And a year into the program, that was when Jindo got elected and mm-hmm. the budget cuts came and professors were getting fired left and right. Furlough, they got rid of a lot of programs and they got rid of the person who taught graphic design at Southern. So I was already a year into the program and I had to pivot. So I was like, well, I'm not switching because I do still love art, but I can't do graphic design because Southern won't pay the professors because fucking Bobby Jindal. Yeah. But. Payush. Payush. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's call him by your government name. Your mama named you Payush. I'm going to call you Payush. <laughs> God damn it. But, so I had to pivot from graphic design to something that I liked within the program, which is printmaking, taught by Professor Yuba, who was the head of the department. At the, well, she was the assistant head of the department at the time. What was she the head? I'm not 100% sure, but she was of authority. In the department. And I remember the first class I took under her was design. Because she taught introduction to design and the second design. And she also taught printmaking. Mm-hmm. And the first class, the first design class. Anybody who's ever taken an art class knows about that first critique. That first group critique where it's like, okay, you do a project. And instead of you turning it into the professor and she grades it, no, we're going to put your piece on the pedestal and everybody in the room is going to pick your shit apart. We're going to judge your work. We're going to tell you everything that's wrong with it. And that first critique as an artist in a group setting, it's like I can equate it to the first time you try skateboarding and you really fall down. Mm -hmm. It's like once you have that first fall, you realize if this is going to be for you. Because I remember I tried skateboarding and I fell down for real, for real, for the first time. And I said, nope, this ain't for me. I'm (laughs) not going to do it. I'm not going to risk life and limb. Try to land a fucking trick. But whoever wants to do it. More power to you, go for it. But to have something that you spent so much time creating be literally picked apart piece by piece by, at this point, 12 strangers mm-hmm. who you do not know and a person of authority who you don't, who you don't have a rapport with. It's like, it can be demeaning at points, but it's the ultimate, like, teaching lesson, the ultimate learning opportunity because all these people see this thing that you made from a completely different perspective that you didn't see. 
going into making this project. Yeah. So it opens your mind up to different creative avenues that you can take moving forward. So And that's the quote says, I'm an artist, I'm sensitive. Exactly. Every artist is sensitive about their shit. No matter what they tell you, they feel a type of way about how you feel about what they made. Mm-hmm. Period. With a T. Shout out to the city girls. <laughs> but like after that first critique, I was like, I I made it through this. I can make it through anything else. Like there's nothing that can stop me with this art. So fast forward through five years because I I tried to pick up a minor, but more budget cuts came and I mm-hmm. couldn't finish my minors. So that's why it took me five years instead of four years to finish my degree. But fast forward through that, I graduate, did not like painting while I was in college. Like I took the classes and didn't really learn much. I learned more about color from my design professor than my painting professor. And I graduated and I had all these supplies. And I said, okay, I got a bunch of canvas, I got a bunch of paint. I'm not really making money right now. Like I'm waiting tables, but it is what it is. So let me just paint. Let me just use this shit that I have. And I'm just going to paint until I run out of supplies. And I painted, and I started selling art. And I said, oh, people like this. Well, I guess I'll just paint until I run out of ideas. And the ideas kept coming. And they kept coming. They kept coming. And I started getting shows. And I started, you know, expanding what I was doing with visual art. And I said, oh, okay. Well, I guess I should start kind of taking this a little bit seriously. And so... I'm doing shows in New Orleans. This is after I graduated, I moved back to New Orleans and I'm doing shows in New Orleans. I'm mingling. I'm using the social skills that I learned in college to kind of make connections yeah. in New Orleans. Not just through art, but to come back to the music, through the music. Mm-hmm. I'm going to concerts, linking up with people that I haven't met before. I'm going to clubs. I, I never forget this. To this day, I remember... All through college, I didn't have a car. I was, you know, getting rides back and forth here and there. But while I was in college in Baton Rouge, in New Orleans, I had learned about this event called The Tipping Point, hosted Mm -hmm. by DJ Rockaway. I was like, man, one of these days, I'm going to get to The Tipping Point. I swear it's going to change my life because I had been hearing, like, I just heard stories about this venue. Yeah. DJ Rockaway and his mixes. And I was like, one day I'm going to get there. So, graduate, get to New Orleans, finally get my car. And I get my car, like, I want to say maybe like September of, September 2012, I get get my first car. And I knew exactly what I was doing. I got that car on a Tuesday. I said, Wednesday I'm going to Southern. I'm coming back. Friday, I'm going to the tipping point. <laughs> There's nothing. I finally have a reason. I don't need a ride. I am on my fucking way. Yeah. And when I tell you that going to the tipping point literally sh- changed the trajectory of my life because I had never heard a DJ like DJ Rockaway before in my life, in real life. Like, yeah. spin so many records. Like, like I told you, I like everything. I like every genre. And this man will play every genre. He's the first person I heard 
blend Crime Mob with Prince and make it go so seamless, seamlessly. Yeah. And I was like, I was mind blown from that point. I said, yo, this is incredible. But the people I've met through just going to the tipping point, like all of the friends I made in New Orleans, I didn't know New Orleans had an underground hip hop scene until going to the tipping point and hear Rockaway spinning records from people in New Orleans, from New Orleans, making hip hop today. Like, yo, I didn't didn't know this existed before now. So I'm thankful for that experience. I'm thankful for how that like shaped me because I met the people that pushed me towards not only making art, but not making visual art, but making poetry because that helped me meet Jocelyn and Irie. We became the Rosebush. We put on power mm-hmm. lines. And that was the open mic that we had. Oh, I haven't seen Jocelyn in so long. Yeah, man. She moved to Nevada. Ah, She's why. back in Nevada to be close to her parents. But, man, like just, like I said, like being with the Rosebush and hosting an open mic for like damn it, three years, being connected with so many people through that at Black Star Cafe, mm-hmm. just... Shout out to Black Star. Shout out to Black Star, man. For real, for real. Like, the New Orleans underground yeah. is something that's it's, it's transient, but it's, it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. However, you could be a part of it. No, nah, I think so. The new That New Orleans underground scene is it's crazy, and you'll never know who you're going to run into yeah. when you're in there. Because the thing is, the New Orleans underground scene, even though it's underground, you might run into, like, a couple years, like, a few years ago, Jay Electronica, you know, yeah. pops up there, you know, or when during the All-Star weekend, I remember everybody was running through the shows. Like, what was it? Was it the Fresh Market on Wednesdays? That was the Jazz Market. The Jazz Wednesdays Market on Wednesdays with, um, used to be crazy. Cool, with Cool Nasty, with cool hosted nasty. by DJ Paul. D- DC Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then you have, like, Tipitina's, uh, Black Star. Mm-hmm. It's like all this type of stuff mm-hmm. that is just Soul Sister on Saturdays, yeah. uh, Rockaway on Fridays, Legs, Lecatron on Saturdays as well. Just you just mix um, with so many people, so many, yeah, so many right. different things. Pink and Room, Pink Room, and the High Hole. Yeah, I, I remember uh, Ascendance. Yeah, Ooh, oh, I just want to go outside. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be outside. So, so bad. badly, bro. It's, I just want to dance amongst my people, bro. It's crazy. Because I, I stayed in New Orleans twice. Well, yeah. not, I'm not, I won't say New Orleans. I never stayed in New Orleans. I stayed in River Ridge for a summer. And I stayed in Harahan for like four or five months. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, of course, when you stay in River Ridge and when you stay in Harahan, you're not ever staying in River Ridge and Harahan except to sleep. It's the same thing. It's the same thing with living in the East, bro. Yeah, like, I was in the East, literally just to sleep. If I wasn't in the studio working on art, I was at an event. I was at somebody's event supporting. I was at a concert, or I was throwing my own motherfucking event. Yeah, like it's just man. The New Orleans, the New Orleans creative scene is something I'm glad to have been a part of and. I, I can't say I'm still a part of it because I'm in Baton Rouge. I'm being a father, being a husband, and COVID. I haven't been able to be re-ingratiated back in that scene like I want to. But this year, I really am trying to strive to be back into that. Yeah. But yeah, man, just 
it's just an energy about that city, bro. Like, I love being born and raised in New Orleans. And, like, there's just a natural sense of creativity of people in that area mm-hmm. that it strives you to grow so, so fucking much. And just in the conversations and people, like you say, you never know who you're going to meet in, in the New Orleans underground. And just, not even the underground, just the two degrees of separation that exists yeah, in New Orleans. Literally. Like, I've met so many people just being in a room mm-hmm. with somebody that I'm cool with. Somebody hit me, up, hit me up and be like, hey, you know, fall through this spot, fall through this spot. And when I was, I say when I was in them streets, when I was in them streets, that's how it would be. I would get off work. I'd be off work at six. I might get a little paint done from seven to eight, nine o'clock. And then from nine to maybe two, I'm in the streets. Yeah. I'm at three, four people's events, hanging out, just mingling. But I mean, whatever, like, like that, but that's how I met you. Yeah. Uh, because so the thing is, half of my friends now, I know because I guess the first point would be Ronald Myers. Um, because me and Ronnie grew up in the same neighborhood. We'll put a pin in Ronnie, but that's 100% correct. It's like me, me and Ronnie grew up in the same neighborhood. So, funny story. Like, I went to Bethany Christian uh, School for high school. Mm-hmm. Not that many black people. Literally, the first day of school, I came there in ninth grade. I'm sitting there in the back of the, of the little auditorium by myself. Ronnie see me and Ronnie walk up with like the other black dudes who are seniors yeah. and they basically like take me under their wing. Like come come sit under so come sit with us. Yeah. I would sit with them at lunch, everything. And then R- Ronnie is four years older than me. Yeah. When I graduate, I go to Southern, Ronnie's there. Mm-hmm. So Ronnie's like, I right, come to the union. So yeah. I go to the union and it's like I remember it's like Ronnie used to be uh they used to be doing the slope 51 stuff. Oh and, yeah, yeah, and so it's like I would meet like Michael Collins, mm-hmm. uh, Luke St. John. Uh, eventually, the way I the way I met, I think the way I met you and Ziggy is because Ronnie found out that me and Ziggy had the same birthday, and I wasn't doing anything for my birthday. So at the Palisades, Ziggy was doing tacos and tequila. at the Palisades, and Ronnie was like, "Come through." Yeah. And so, like, that was the first time, like, I met, like, you and Ziggy, Dez, all of them. Uh, same thing with, like, Sage. But it's like, Ronnie was basically, like, my introductory point to half of the people who are, like, my best friends now. Very much and, the same. Like, Ronnie was, shout out to Ronnie Myers. Shout out to Ronnie. Shout out to Ronnie Myers. Ronnie was a catalyst for a lot of friendship because he was just a very social person. Mm-hmm. I know Ronnie because of, he was, <coughs> excuse me. He was an, I forget what they call him, an ambassador or whatever. He was an orientation oh, leader yeah. at Jaguar, Jaguar Preview. Preview. And this was, I, I remember I went to like the either the first or, yeah, it was the first Jaguar Preview. And that was when I met a whole lot of dudes from St. O. Like, that's when I got mm-hmm. cool with a whole lot of dudes from St. O. But Ronnie was one of the, the um, orientation leaders at Jaguar Preview. And he knew everybody. And so after Jaguar Preview, you come back in when school starts and you're a freshman. And I'm in the circle talking to Ronnie and Ziggy pulls up. Shout out to Ziggy. Shout out to Ziggy. Shout out to Ziggy. Ziggy walks up and I'm talking to Ronnie. Ziggy walks up 
And I got a pack of Oreos in my hand. And we all talking. And I'm like, hey, what's up, man? Want some of these Oreos? Ever since then. <laughs> and Ziggy been like this, bro. Like, we've been tight as yeah. fuck ever since then. Just off the strength of Ronnie. Ronnie has connected so many people in Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he knows the extent of how much he's been like a plug for people yeah. in this area. It's like, because like for me, it was just like, I don't want to say it was like a big brother thing, but Ronnie always felt the need to look after me yeah. because he knew my older brother. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we come from the same neighborhood and everything. So like when I get on Southern campus, like I'm a super friendly person. I'll talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, when you're a freshman, you're trying to figure out Especially at HBCU, yeah. who is your tribe? Exactly. There are so many different groups of people on Southern's campus. Mm-hmm. So many different uh, people from different places coming to form these little cliques. Yeah. And so you're trying to figure out who is your tribe, and Ronnie's like, "Come over here." And so I remember just going to the union and talking about like double XL freshman lists mm-hmm. and stuff like this, making beats, uh, freestyling in, in cars, yeah. all this type of stuff. And just like being because of Ronnie, yeah. And like I then I think about like New Orleans, and basically like most of my connections through New Orleans are because of Ronnie or because of Sage. Yeah. And so like I think about like people like Dips, that's because of Sage. Mm-hmm. And I think about uh, like Jocelyn, that's because of Sage. It's 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 it's, it's 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 what I'm saying. Like the two degrees of separation for me. Sage is because of Ziggy. Because yeah. me and Ziggy were roommates. You know what I'm saying? And Ziggy is through Ronnie. Mm-hmm. So it's by proxy. Jocelyn is, for me, it's because of the tipping point. Yep. And that's one of my close friends. Like, one of my closest friends. We, Me, her, Ari, and Tim. We the Rosebush. Like, all this stuff is intertwined and intermingled. And it's so wild how it is intertwined and intermingled. But back to, like, Finding your tribe, especially at HBCU, because I've been lucky enough to be in predominantly black educational environments my entire life. See, I didn't have that. I, I didn't have that. It's like from literally from kindergarten, except for my, except for Katrina year, my junior in high school, it's been all black. McMain was predominantly black. Oddly enough, the area of New Orleans that I live in is grossly populated by Vietnamese mm-hmm. and I rode the school bus to McMain and on my school bus was about 64 kids I was one of three black people on that bus everybody else on that school bus was Vietnamese and I knew every single one of those kids by name mm-hmm. like and I took pride in that personally because a lot of the kids at school did not know them by name because they 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 tried to like you know stereotype and yeah. pigeonhole all the Vietnamese people saying they look alike this that and the third no I know all of these people individually as people because we all live in the same area and all these people are individual people so from a young age I was able to respect people's individuality mm-hmm. and I think that helped me learn to be such a sociable person in college because me and Ziggy as roommates we connected with a lot of people throwing house parties and throwing not even house parties just on Fridays people knew to come to our spot 
at Sun. Like just just on Wednesdays and Fridays, come by Ziggy and Trav. We're gonna drink. We're gonna listen to good music. More than likely, we're gonna listen to some tribe. That's how we connect. Mm-hmm. Me, Ziggy, Sage, Reggie, Jimmy. Like all of us connected through tribe. <laughs> like this was the first piece, the first turntable that I made because I said this is tribe is tribe is what kind of like built the friendships that I have in my adulthood. Yeah. So let me make a piece that speaks to that, that pays homage to that. So it's it's tight that one of my close friends bought the first piece that I made yeah. that's a tribute to Tribe. Because I mean like I even think about now. Uh out of out of all our friends, what Sage may be the youngest. Sage is yeah. what, twenty seven? Six. Twenty. No, Sage is Sage is going on twenty nine. Nah, because Sage birthday was just like like two weeks ago. Sage was Sage is twenty nine. Sage is twenty nine. Okay, so Sa- yeah. I thought Sage was more than one year younger than me. Sage so I guess I guess Catherine. Yeah. Scotty like twenty seven. Yeah. Scotty's the youngest. Okay, but like other than that, we're all basically entering our thirties or already in our thirties. Yeah. And I think about when we get together. When we get together, is is normally surrounding some type of music mm-hmm. and food. Yep, and that's literally it. And it's crazy because I think even like even somebody like Sage who works in like music, um, fashion and stuff like that, so she's always around a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Most of us, our best time is spent when we're with our friends in like a small space, yeah. just kicking it. Just chilling, which I mean, which is why I this podcast, this episode right here is just like so good for me because it's basically just hanging with your friend talking about stuff we would normally talk about anyway. Yeah, exactly. And so it's it's crazy because like uh, when you think about that, like that building that tribe, I also think about just how that's a part of everyday like life and growing. Basically, like when you're growing up, you're trying to figure out like who's my tribe, who are the people I'm going to be with. Like that's gonna be my that's gonna be my wedding. That's gonna be you know helping to take care of my kids. That's just gonna be my friends for the rest of my life. What is like my career path gonna be like? What am I gonna do to make money? Like all these different things, and you're normally trying to figure that stuff out like in high school and college. And so it's weird because, like, basically before college, I spent half of my time in like public school in Baton Rouge, and if you go to public school in Baton Rouge, it's predominantly black. Mm But I spent the other half of the time in private Catholic or Christian schools where it's like my graduating class had like five or six black people. But like if you look at a high school, which is like 300 people, it's probably like 30 of us. Yeah. You know? And so I remember when I got to Southern, it was there was this point where I was coming from uh, Bethany and I got these white people telling me like, man, you the whitest black dude I know. But then I get to the Southern, and yeah. it's like, black people are like, bro, you're the whitest black dude I know. <laughs> and I'm just like, bro, I can get along with anybody. Exactly. Like, I just do this. Exactly. But understandably, it's like, I remember when I came on campus, I'm wearing skinny jeans, I'm wearing tongues. And, like, at that time, in 2009, mm-hmm. basically, that was new. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And so it's like, of course I look awkward standing out where you got people, you got, of course, it's something, you know, you got that. The like Afrocentric people, they selling dashikis exactly. and wooden chains over here, and the little she's mm-hmm. she selling necklaces and stuff like that. And then you got your, your super 
fashion forward people. Fashion forward people. Like, like, shout out to Terrence. Yeah, shout out to Terrence. Terrence was always, like, always. 10 years ahead of everybody. And I think, so, what, what, did, did Terrence start with you or did Terrence start with me? Terrence was, Terrence was a year before me because okay. he, he was, um, orientation leader at my Jaguar Okay, Freeman. because I remember Terrence, when they, they started doing, my freshman year, they started doing a whole bunch of fashion shows on campus. Mm-hmm. And Terrence, and there was this other girl, uh, Michaela Blake, shout out to Michaela, yeah, Raina yeah. Price, Lachelle Johnson, like mm-hmm. this group of people, they all came in with me, mm-hmm. and they're with Terrence because they're all doing these little fashion shows. Yeah. And so my first week, I was around Terrence a lot because number one, I was still trying to get comfortable with being around predominant groups of black people mm-hmm. and experiencing, like I come from a black black family like we have the traditional black experience Mm -hmm. but being able that i was able to be uh exposed to other types of life and other types of things it's like i've always been like an eccentric kid an eccentric Mm -hmm. person just loving different things and so when you try to and then it didn't help but i came to southern i was dating a white girl at the time and so it was funny because when I got on campus, it was just like so you went down with the sisters. Exactly. Michael? It was like, oh, he only date white women. I'm like, I dated one white girl. Okay, Michael B. <laughs> I and so, but it was funny because I'm trying to like get down with women. I'm trying to, you know, my whole thing was I felt like when I got to Southern, I was gonna find like there's two women in like before my fiance. There's two women in my life that I'm just like, they're the top of the line. These are the most beautiful women that ever walked the planet. Number one is Pam Greer, mm-hmm. and number two is Lisa Bonet. I could respect And so when I got to Southern, I was like, I'm about to find my Pam Greer, Lisa Bonet. And I remember there's a girl, I'm not going to name her name. Yeah. But she was, I was like, oh, this is it right here. Yeah. But I was still awkward trying to figure out how do I exist around these people. Because it's like, yeah, sometimes I might, I go into rabbit holes mm-hmm. and I might go into a rabbit hole about some punk rock that ain't nobody going to understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, but me going to Southern helped me become the person I am today because you were mentioning earlier about being in the art program and they connected you to so many different things. Mm-hmm. They didn't just have you with like a general concentration. And like, I studied political science, but one thing I learned about political science is um, especially at Southern, learning at HBCU, political science can prepare you for any career in the world. You just got to know how to sell yourself for it. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that they did was, it was like, yeah, you learn about politics, but my intro to American government class is not only a political science class, but it's also a history class. Mm-hmm. It's also a sociology class. Yeah. It's also psychology. And so I think about having those experiences of your HBCU, uh, Southern University for both of us, helping us to find our tribe, but to also help us figure out exactly where we wanted to be. And they did it not only through the traditional forms of education, but through like non-traditional forms of just the professors telling us like, we doing this because of this reason. Yeah. And us being able to take that experience and now use it to try to get somewhere. And so I think where I want to go now is, so now you're, you're an adult. Uh, I remember when you were in Colorado, you were doing a whole bunch of like different art, trying to do things. But I think the first, the very first piece of art that I remember of yours, probably not the first piece I saw, but the first one I remember is you had the Paiush wooden stamp. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about your stamp collections on this podcast because okay. that was one of the things that when I like when we first became friends, Travis, our soul life is known for stamps. Yeah. So and I think you got one with you, right? Did uh, you bring a stamp? Yeah, yeah, I got one. I so let me let me let me see the stamp. I do have so so one. so the camera can see it. We can see this right here. So this right is now. this is Anderson Pack. This is one of my favorite artists out right now, Anderson Pack. Um, the thing about this one is I made the template, like the outline, everything for this piece, maybe two years ago, mm-hmm. and I sat with it for yes, Lord. Yeah, I see yeah. It. I sat with it for a while because. I didn't know where I wanted to take it. I knew I didn't want to be flat. I didn't want to be 2D. I was tired of the old, I guess you can say, way of how I made stamps. Yeah. And it's funny, the story of how I came about the stamps is funny because it's 100% unorthodox. When I was in New Orleans, I was working for another artist named Chris Roberts Antio. And 100%, I'm forever indebted to Chris as far as just being a person who was there to support all of my creative endeavors. I was working for her for my nine to five. After I stopped waiting tables in New Orleans, I was working for her as a framer in her gallery doing all of the her custom framing along with one other person. Shout out to Melissa. But outside of doing her framing, she believed in where I was going with my art so much that she said, after hours, I can use the frame shop as my studio to make my art. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would do. Like I would work from 10 to 6 or 9 to 6 for her. And then from like 6 to 12, most weekdays, I was working on my stuff in the studio that she had basically lent me for free. And I remember one day where we were making frames was out in Metairie. And she moved where we were making frames from Metairie to Magazine Street where she got this half gallery, half half frame shop. And so the day we were moving, we went to Outback Steakhouse and before well, when we all got sad I said, well, let me go wash my hands before we, you know, eating everything. And in the bathroom at Outback, there were these Australian stamps on like wooden panels in mm-hmm. the bathroom. And I was just using the bathroom, looking at these like <laughs> just laser printed stamps like, hmm. That's interesting. feel like I can do something with that. I'm going to just put a pin in that and come back to it later. And so I did exactly that. And I want to say I went and ate my steak, went to sleep, didn't think anything about it. The next day I woke up and I was like, okay, what, what are we going to do with this? Because I can do something with this. So with the stamps, I came up with the concept of, okay, how do you convey your creative ideas through the visual aesthetic of a stamp? So it's like, okay, in order to send any type of package or postage to somebody, you need to pay for 
the specific postage. Mm-hmm. You need to pay for the stamps. You need to secure the amount of funds needed to send your idea to somebody. So I said, well, if I'm going to send my idea to somebody, why don't I make a visual representation of me sending my idea to you? Let me put this yeah. idea that I have onto a stamp. That way it can be universally shipped. It can be shipped all across the globe, and anybody across the globe can grasp the concept of something being presented to you on a stamp. And that's where I came with. That's where I was coming from with the idea of the stamp. And I was doing stamps for maybe, I'd say, late 2013, 2014, up to 2018. 2018. I cut this outline for this stamp in 2018. I just hadn't had anything to put on it until 2020. Yeah. But I stopped doing stamps in 2020 because. I realized that at the job that I'm working now, it expanded my mind creatively because I still do woodworking. I still make things out of wood. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning the processes of basically wood sculpture. Mm-hmm. And during COVID, I've been able to take the things I learned at my job and apply it to my creative applications and move my art from a flat 2D surface into a 3D realm. And that's kind of been my sticking point is because I've moved, I've tra- during COVID, I've transitioned from 2D to 3D, but during COVID, in order to see 3D, you got to be there in person. Everybody can't be there in person yeah. because of, you know, Motherfuckers might be carriers, you know, <laughs> and you want to protect your family, you want to protect your loved ones, is that the third? So that's where I'm at now. Trying to figure out how to present artwork that has been transitioned into a 3D space mm-hmm. when the medium for presenting the artwork isn't in a 3D space, technically. Like, Instagram, Twitter, and all that, you see what I'm doing, but until you get face-to-face with what I'm doing, you can't really see what I'm doing. But I think I've kind of figured a way out of getting people to see what I'm doing in a physical realm. Yeah. And... And so uh, you kind of went in because that was something I wanted to ask you about specifically, like how has COVID impacted your art, but also just like your everyday life? Because mm-hmm. basically, it's James for the last 10 months. We've all, I'm not going to say we all because obviously people are not following rules, but we have supposed to have been confined to our homes. <laughs> and so I can understand, I could see if COVID possibly robbed some people of like inspiration mm-hmm. but I can also see a place where COVID you know inspired some people to see some things that they wouldn't normally uh, see or be able to do some things they wouldn't normally do so how has that impacted your life number one as a husband and a father but then number two you kind of spoke on how has that impacted you as an artist so as a husband and a father it's impacted me in a way that I think it's helped because, like, 
there isn't really a reason for me to be outside of the house, outside of work. Yeah. So I'm home. I'm with my kids. Like I go to work, I come home, and it's be my wife and my kids, and I'm able to give my kids that personal time that they need to develop their brains and connect with all of us and build that family time because that's the main thing. Like the art, I love it. I need it. Everything is that and the third, but. My family comes first. Right. And I I have to have that time with my family. So COVID, especially in these early years, like like I was telling you, my oldest is about to be three. My youngest is about to be one. These very early formative years, them knowing that daddy is here. You know what I'm saying? Like just getting, having the idea in their brain and knowing for a fact that daddy is here and daddy is going to be here. It's been imperative in my life. You know what I'm saying? So that's one. A lot of people. And for me, I still had some certain success in 2020. Mm-hmm. But it was like right at the end of the year, I think I end up like like four people I personally know end up dying from COVID. And then like right at the beginning of this year, somebody else that I, I know close, per, like personally died. Yeah. Then it's like had to pay money to get my car fixed. That was like six, eighteen hundred. Then I had to pay to get uh, my wisdom teeth taken out. That was like thirteen hundred. And it's like I'm thankful for having steady employment during this pandemic and being a like me getting the stimulus helped me, but it was like I didn't need it. Yeah. Um. And and so it's like COVID was weird for a lot of people. Um. So, but being able to be a father at home and actually be with your kids during those formative years, uh, it has to be a great feeling. Um, so it's like we actually gonna be wrapping up soon. So I think one of the other things that I would like to just discuss is like where you see your art going, uh, like I guess from now into the future, and where you would like to see yourself in like ten years. So going into the future, I feel like this year is, is gonna be a really good year. I have an idea about something that I want to create. Mm-hmm. I can't really give that much detail on it right now. But within the next maybe three months, the first couple of like prototypes are gonna be made. And I feel like what I'm doing going forward, like taking my art into a 3D space, you know, essentially doing sculptures and paintings in one is really changing the trajectory of where my art is going. Yeah. Like, like I said, I can't really speak too much on it because I want it to be a surprise. And that's fine. And when people see it, people are going to be like, oh, this makes 100% sense based on what you've done and where you're going. Because like I said, like the woodworking has become a priority in my life. Like I like to build things. Mm-hmm. Just period. I like to build things. I like to build things out from a flat drawing to something that you can stand up and look at and be like, oh my God, this used to be just an idea. <laughs> Which that reminds me, I have to build an outside bench for my fiance. But. I, you know, for the <laughs> springtime, I have to build a sectional for the back patio. So that's on my list of things that need to be built. So I definitely understand where you're coming from. I, but with, with, with this art, man, like COVID, 
gave me the time to sit down and really focus on the art. Like, I was supposed to do a show in May of 2020. My neck, my, essentially my return to the Louisiana art scene was supposed to be May of 2020. Mm -hmm. And COVID shut that shit completely down and essentially gave me an entire year of reconfiguring what I'm going to do. So imagine somebody being ready for something and then getting an extra 365 days to prepare yeah. for something, for that same thing. So it's like, okay, it was going to be good in May of 2020, yeah. but in June or July of 2021, it's going to be incredible. And that's just a little seed to plant in people's head. No, I'm June and July of 2021. Just be on the lookout. I'm, look, I'm looking forward. Because art so life is coming. I'm looking forward to it. Like I, I always tell people, the maybe the best party that I've ever been to in my life was the Art Soul Life art show. Mm -hmm. And that was Whiskey and Woodgrain. Mm -hmm. uh, art everywhere around, live performances, food, all that. One of the, probably the best party I've ever been to in my life. Uh, we know it, and amongst our friend group, there's yeah. so many videos oh, and man. fun stories that exist of that night. So I'm looking forward to uh, June july 2021 to see what's next for you uh but like yeah like is there anything else that you just want to relate to the people before we wrap up i mean just just follow just just follow where i'm going where i'm taking the art you know speaking of that um what is your social media information okay twitter and instagram of art soul life a-r-t-s-o-u-l-l-i-f-e Twitter and Instagram, that's where you can find me. My website is artsoullife.com, spelled the same way. It's also my online shop. I'm currently in the process of putting all of my current pieces that are available for sale on my online shop because honestly, in 2021, I'm also looking for somebody to take the reins on the digital presence of me so I can just focus on yeah, creating. creating. Because I, I've learned also in this time that I can't spread myself too thin. Like if I if I can focus as much of myself on the art, that's what I'm gonna do. So, Look, I get it. That's yeah. why JJ is behind the camera back there. Shout yeah. out to JJ. Tell yeah. people say what's up. What's up? What's up? Y'all hear JJ behind the camera? Because I too believe in not spreading myself too thin. <laughs> But I also believe in supporting other creatives. So y'all make sure y'all look out for JJ because he's a great creative uh, as right, well. Right. But like Travis just told y'all, his Instagrams, Twitter, his website. So you're going to put all your current pieces that are available on the website? Yeah. Everything um, new that I do is going to go up on the website predominantly. I'm on social media to mostly promote and talk to people because I like to talk to people. That's how I connect now with these COVID times until... You know, we can get out in these streets and I can talk to you face to face. But right. yeah, and social media is where it's at right now. Did you, you, you brought one, uh, uh, two more pieces besides this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I brought a few more. I brought a few more. Um, this is my turntable, my replica, one of my replica turntables. This one is called Strike Through. This one, you can hang up on your wall and use it as a, as a display piece. It fits all, you know, full size. 12 and Geronimo records. Mm -hmm. And same as this same one right here that Eugene has purchased. 
from your boy. Also, this is another one of my newer pieces. This one is called The Midas Touch. This was an all gold um, replica NPC that I did very recently in my latest release of pieces. I'm really proud of this one, to be honest with you. I, I don't make beats. I'm not very musically inclined, but <laughs> I use my art to convey the message that I am musically inclined. So that's where I'm at with it. This one is called Midas Touch, like I said. And um, all of these pieces are on my website. They will be available on my shop before really soon. Really soon, the next couple of days. So by the time this web this episode goes out, all of my pieces should be 100% on my shop. Alright, well, so we're going we gonna to wrap up right there. So... Like, number one, I want to thank you for coming. Like I said, y'all, Travis, one of my best friends. Um, so I, I, I've been waiting to have this conversation with you. So I thank you for coming so we can put it on. And number one, allow the people to know who you are. Um, but number two, to also allow me to continue flexing my creative uh, bones and, and get some things out. Because I truly believe in storytelling. Um, if people know me, if you follow me, you know, like, I have political articles out there. All kind of stuff. Uh, I'm working actually on a book, a, a great idea about like Louisiana history. It's, it's, it's a little, uh, it's, it's fiction, but it, I'm putting some legit historical pieces in there also. So I'm super thankful that y'all, you were here today. Thank you for coming, my brother. Y'all, on that note, I'm going to sign out. As I always say, don't hurt your brother. Help your brother. You can help your sister. You help yourself. This is episode one of season two. Things fall apart by the bonus audio. Uh, like what you rocking right now for music? What music is in your ears? What's what are you listening to as you create? Man, like is it's ever changing. When it comes to me and what I'm listening to, because you know, I'm so fucking all over the place when it comes to the music that I do listen to. But um, what's been on repeat, honestly, Zach Fox. <laughs> Yo, I hate you too, little nigga. And Marinade have been like heavy rotation. Zach Fox has slowly become one of my favorite artists because. He makes some of the, like, just fun, ratchet, nonsensical music. Mm-hmm. I love that shit. Like, the 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 standout line on I Hate You Too, Little Thing, <laughs> where he said, um, and they always ask me why I'm so angry. That's a stupid-ass question, bitch. Slavery. Like, <laughs> that's why I'm always angry. What you mean why yeah. I'm angry? Yeah, but which, which that's funny because I always tell my students. I, I tell uh, and JJ was one of my students, so he can attest to this. I ask students to say something. I tell them I can connect everything to slavery. Mm-hmm. If you throw something out, I can oh, yeah. find a way to connect. We can bring it back. We can bring back. So slavery. it's like nah, that 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 is a good one. Uh, so you planning on June, July twenty one, which of course June I'm getting married, so that's gonna be a big month for me. Yeah, yeah. looking forward to it. Natasha yeah. will be finishing. Her third degree in May, yeah, so that's that's gonna be a big time uh, for us. 
But once we get out of COVID, mm-hmm. like, how are you trying to hit the people with art? Are oh. you planning on creating a lot of stuff? And then basically, as soon as we can go out the house, like, bam? Yeah. Or do you want to kind of sneak some pieces in? No, 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 no. See, one thing I've learned throughout my years is that you have to strike when the opportunity is there for you to strike. Like, I have been making art. I've been making a lot of art. I've been making a lot of art that people have not been able to see in person. So I have this show planned for June that is going to be like an offshot of Whiskey and Woodgrain. But you were at the first Whiskey and Woodgrain. You know the experience that it was. And I'm trying to replicate that. I'm trying to take that and turn it up tenfold. So when outside opens back up for real, for real, that's when Whiskey and Woodgrain 2 is going to happen. Like, I know the people that I'm inviting. Mm-hmm. To, to be performers. I know the DJs that I'm going to have to provide the vibe. I have the artwork. I'm going to have plenty more artwork for that time. But when outside opens up for real, for real, and we can really be shoulder to shoulder again, it's, 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 it, that, that's when I'm going to punch people in the face. <laughs> I look straight up. I, I, I'm just ready to, like, you know me, I'm a homebody. Yeah. I'm just ready to be around my friends again. Man. Exactly. <laughs> like I'm gonna just be real with you. Like I'm, I'm defending my uh, dissertation proposal next month. So I'm literally about to get to the the nitty gritty, the important part of my program, so I can finish this PhD. But it's like I'm ready to get to um, more creative endeavors. Uh, yeah. Like I thought about ways that I'm going to sell myself as an academic. Like. Mm-hmm. It's not just gonna be some going to class and teach type stuff. No, nah, it's some like I got I some mean, ideas that I'm like I need to hurry up and finish this, and hopefully Southern will go ahead and hire me so we can I can stay and keep this here. Yeah, but uh, it's like man, like like I said, it's this has been great. Just like because number one, I think you may be, yeah, I think you're the only friend that I've seen since COVID. Like for real, for real, like in person. Yeah. I think you're the only friend that I've seen since COVID. And so I'm thankful that, that we could do this podcast today, man. And just like hopefully we can all gather around with the rest of our friends soon and just like love on each other, man. man. <laughs> just just be One happy. more time. Like, be friends. The fact that we could do tacos and tequila for homecoming right. this past fall, bro. And I'm going to tell you, hold up, because, like, we know Southern is, at this moment, Southern is still supposed to be having a spring football season. Yeah. I'm not showing up to anything. Yeah, no, no. It's, no. Like, it's like now, in the fall, like, Biden said he wants to have a semblance of normalcy by September. That makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Now, if if we got a football season in the fall, Eugene is going to, he going to drink, he going to stay out late, he going to do everything that he don't normally do. <laughs> y'all gonna, y'all gonna see me.